calling up to the barn would be great for the Lancaster Barnstormers, a, uh, a minor league baseball team. What a find with the Barnstormers. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another edition of There's a Lot Going On, the only podcast that dressed up as a good show for Halloween. I'm David Arroyo, joined, as always, my pal Tom Shively. Tom, we're recording this the morning after Halloween, so it was a late night for some of us, early morning for others, but Tom, I gotta know, how you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well. I think it was both for you. I think it was a late night and an early morning. Uh, I heard you a certain TV character for Halloween. How was that? I can confirm I was Ted Lasso for Halloween. Uh, I will send you pictures before I post them on the gram. But I, so I got really lazy in the lead up to it where I just decided last minute mustache, a lot of work because they, for some reason, the spirit Halloween, shout the spirit Halloween, the original OG pop up. They didn't have just like a peel off and stick mustache. So I had to like the the kit I had like you had to put these dots on your face and then you had to put the hair on a little by a little until you got what you wanted and then you had to like cut it down. It was way too much effort. I was not going through it. So we just went, you know, very simple sweater. Uh, we got the the collared shirt. You got to roll the sleeves up correctly. You know, that's the big part of it. And I had a whistle, you know, give it away with the whistle. That's all you really need. No magic marker stash. You couldn't get anything. Come on. I just, I had no desire at that point to do the magic marker stash. I, I feel like the magic marker stash is is far more of a headache than it needs to be. I don't know why that is, though. It's a decent take. I uh, I went as the backup plan. I was, I was very simple. I was just a Price is Right contestant. Mm-hmm. But um, the original plan was me and a buddy were going to get a USC and LSU gear and be James Franklin's future. But uh, I didn't have any USC gear that could get here in a timely manner, so we had to table that one for a later date. The my favorite two things I saw both were from my roommates. You remember uh, the vine where the girl like whips her head around to take on me? Yes. So one of my roommates was that girl, and they played take on me while we were out yesterday, and so that was glorious. And then my other roommate like clearly didn't commit to a a costume, and then you know we had to like go separate ways. I had to take an Uber. They drove or whatever because they were leaving early. And when we got there, I noticed my friend had a cardboard sign on that said nudist on strike, which I thought was a genius, very quick, heady play. That is savvy. I like that one. All right, Tom. And and since we're bringing up things we like, it was a good Sunday for both you and I when it comes to the football field. We'll start with the biggest blowout of any team on Sunday, and that, of course, is the Philadelphia Eagles taking down the Detroit Lions 44-6. to My thoughts on this game are very quick, and we've already said this is going to be a very quick episode, but the Eagles, I think, are not good, and it just speaks to the extreme lack of talent the Lions have. Like, I don't know about you, I can't name a single... I could probably name one or two. That's a lie. There aren't many guys, though, currently healthy that I can name for you on the Lions who I think are very good. Like, all the guys I can think of, like Jeff Okuda, he's really it. Like, they're 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 hurt right now. And, you know, the fight in Dan Campbell's, they gave it their all. They've played some teams close this year, but this was not one of them. You're not a, you're not a DeAndre Swift fan, I take it. Mm, I am a big DeAndre Swift fan. Him and uh, TJ Hawk- Hawkinson? Those are those are solid solid pieces, but I mean, name the rest of the talent on this team. I'll wait. I I can't. I I thought this might have been the one the Lions could win. I 
you know, they're coming in 0 and 7. They they put up a pretty good performance against the Rams last week. I think they only lost by eight or you know, it was one score the whole game. They might have made it a little bit wider margin at the end, but they had that terrible performance against the Bengals and then okay against the Rams and now back to being mediocre. So it's just kind of where's the talent for Detroit? And it it, it really I didn't learn anything about Philadelphia. It's just Detroit being a bad team. Well, that, that's the thing, right? I I know you remember this. Early in the year, I overreacted severely to a win over Atlanta. And Atlanta's just bad. And so, you know, it was one of those classic week one reactions. You don't know anything about either team. You read way too much into it. And it turns out Atlanta's a bad football team. We know at this point the Lions are bad. They're 0-8. They're feisty at times. But they're not a very good football team. And... We got to go to the schedule because you threw it out there. This is really why we're talking about this. Where is the opportunity to win a game over these next, what is this, nine weeks that we still have in the NFL season? They have the Steelers and Browns next week, both on the but next two weeks, both on the road. To me, those are easy losses. The winnable games potentially to me are at home November 25th against the Bears and on the road December 26th against the Falcons. Maybe the Seahawks, if Russell Wilson is still out, but to me, the Seahawks are still worlds better than this Lions team. So what, at best, they can win two games? Uh, not looking great for the, the fight in Jared Goffs. I think I think maybe the Vikings or the Broncos, maybe, but two wins max for sure. Yeah, like this is, this is a bad football team. See, I'd say they could beat the Vikings, but that's a one o'clock game. Minnesota and Kirk Cousins thrive in the early window. It's when you throw them on prime time where they can't do anything anymore. Like uh, we can just like real quick. I wanted to hit this game 20 to 16 for the Vikings. You're playing a, a Dak Prescottless Cowboys team. And you let, you let Cooper Rush carve you up for 325 yards. He averaged 8.1 yards per completion. Like what? This, who are you, Minnesota? Because I I have argued on this show, they're the worst good team. They might have to get downgraded to the best bad team. Let's say, are, they, are they a good team? They, they, got, they might have to get downgraded because this, this was a bad, bad loss. Speaking of the Lions, they had to pull off a last-second field goal to beat them at home. I mean, they're, what, are their, what are their good wins? Nobody. I... I don't know. They, at this point, they're hanging their hat on the fact that they can play teams close. Like, they played the Cardinals close. They played the Bengals close. They could only score seven against the Cleveland Browns. They beat the Panthers. I, is that their signature win? We know now the Panthers aren't very good. So, I I don't know. I, Minnesota is is endlessly perplexing to me. But, Tom, let, let's go over to the, the other big win on Sunday. And that is the New England Patriots taking down the Los Angeles Chargers 27 to 24. I mean, Tom, the, the Patriots now sitting at 500. We'll, we'll start there. What, what was your kind of assessment of, of how the Patriots played yesterday? I mean, this is now twice they've beaten Justin Herbert. They just have Justin Herbert's number over these first two years for him in the league. Belichick just seems to have Herbert figured out a little bit more than the rest of the league does. Yeah, they put the hurt on Herbert last year. I think they won that one 45-6, but this one, obviously, L.A., a little bit more talented this year. The defense was the story today. I think Mac Jones was pretty pedestrian. He was only 18-35 to 35 for 218, so kind of a, a a casual Mac Jones performance, but they had the big interception at the end. They kind of made life messy for Herbert, and 
it kind of continues this trend of Belichick against young quarterbacks can kind of figure them out. And it kind of takes a veteran to beat the Patriots recently. You saw, I mean, they made life hell for Zach Wilson last week and, and the Jets, and they won that one easily. Granted, the Jets and the Chargers should not be in the same sentence, but 500, they got the Panthers next week, who we, you know, we just said not an elite team. They got the Cleveland Browns who are kind of slipping after that. If they, They'll probably beat the Panthers, and that's going to be a huge game with the Cleveland Browns in terms of put themselves in playoff position. So I think you're seeing everything you want to see from the defense right now. And Mac Jones, no interceptions, 218 yards. Like To only complete 50-something percent of your passes and still come out of there with 27 points is, is a pretty insur- encouraging sign. Damian Harris had 80 on the ground, so they, they did enough on offense, but really it was the defense to me. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's far more about those two Justin Herbert interceptions than anything the the Patriots do. I'm looking at the playoff schedule, not the playoff schedule, the playoff seeding right now. And after the first couple of weeks, I don't know about you. I had kind of written off the Patriots as a legitimate potential playoff team. And I mean, they're sitting there at eight. Now they now own the tiebreaker over both Cleveland and Denver who sit behind them. And the team ahead of them is the chargers. Like they're kind of getting lucky right now where it's been a super weird NFL season where as of right now, the Browns are not a playoff team, a team you and I thought could compete for the one seed. The Chiefs are not a playoff team. They're below 500, but we're expecting them to kind of get right tonight against the Giants. Not saying that means they're going to be good, but I still feel like it's an uphill climb for the Patriots to get into the playoffs. Although they play in a weak division, so you really never know. Like To me, the there's a high level of variance for how the rest of this Patriots season can go, but it's been encouraging to see Mac Jones, kind of like how you said, like, doesn't really make mistakes. And so you can stay in these games, even when your team is only giving you, you know, you're not getting a lot offensively. It's really the defense that is carrying you when your quarterback isn't making mistakes. You always have opportunities to win those games. I mean, you look at the next four, right? They got Panthers, Browns at Atlanta home against the Titans. I wouldn't say any of those are not winnable games for the Patriots. So I think if you... I don't think they can beat the Titans. I think they Winna- could. Winnable, yes, I, I, I guess. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't pick, pick them to win that one. Yeah, but if you if you get two out of three against Panthers, Browns, Falcons, and really you should at least beat the Panthers and Falcons, I think you're still in a decent position. You get the Bills twice down the stretch, so that's not going to be great. But you end with Jaguars, Dolphins, so... Even if you're struggling, kind of going into the end, if you're sitting at eight wins, maybe by the time you get to those last two weeks, you have to like where you are. I'll be honest, looking through this now, I think Panthers is probably a win next week, so I put you at five wins. The Browns, I mean, Baker hasn't looked very good this year. If you had to ask me, I still think the Browns probably win, but I'm going to give give it to the Patriots just for argument's sake. So now we're at six wins. They should beat the Falcons. That now gives you seven wins. The other wins on the schedule to me, Jags, Dolphins, we're now at nine wins. And to me, the Colts are a beatable team. So, so you got to win big... one of those four games probably against Buffalo twice, Indianapolis, and, and Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, Two, that's... definitely. 11 wins I think will get you in. 10 will be French. To me, to me, 10 probably gets you in this year. The AFC is down and... The teams who we thought were going to be great and like really hot or who started hot have now petered off. And I don't know what you think about this, but like, who is the favorite in the AFC? Because you're still not going to convince me the Raiders are anything, excuse me, are anything serious or something that teams should be worried about. The Ravens, 
on a week-to-week basis, you really don't know what you're getting from the Ravens. You're not going to convince me Ryan Tannehill is going to be the quarterback that wins the AFC. So is it just by default the Bills because that's the quarterback we trust the most? I like, I guess. I I don't know what to make of any of these teams. I'm obviously not going to pick the Bengals after they just lost to the Jets. So I mean, yeah, before yesterday, I probably would have picked the Chargers. But maybe Buffalo. I, I, gun to my head, I'd probably still say the Ravens. But it, it's not a convincing argument for anybody. Yeah, like... It's interesting, though, because at my understanding, Derrick Henry got hurt yesterday, and I would have made the argument that because no team is particularly strong in the AFC, it was a prime year for a team like Tennessee to make the Super Bowl, where you just ride the hot hand of Derrick Henry, no one can really stop Derrick Henry, and then boom, you're in the Super Bowl just by chance of it being a down year in the conference. If they get the one seed, though, I I don't know what they're going to do with it. Like, to me, Ravens-Bills should be clear 1A, 1B in the AFC, and then there's everybody else, and I'm not expecting anyone else to really be, like, viable contenders. Real quick, too, another game I really want to hit on, the Packers now all of a sudden are on a seven-game win streak in the number one seed in the AFC, I or in the NFC. I feel like the Packers have been the, like, most—this is exactly what you wanted if you were the Packers. They've been incredible, and we haven't talked about them at all. We haven't even looked in their direction. They're just, you know, quietly winning games. They just go in there and beat Arizona, banged up, you know, down their top three receiver targets, and boom, go into Arizona and win. I I don't know. I don't know what to do anymore with this team. And it, the defense is what's been surprising. They're, they're, they were better than I expected them to be defensively. Is there a worse loss for a 7-0 team than fumbling that against the Packers? Like, you have to have that one if you're Arizona, don't you? You have – I mean – yeah, like DeAndre Hopkins is out, but that was really their only main piece that was out. And they they let Aaron Rodgers, who only threw for like 180-something yards, but the Packers really did control this game from start to finish, despite the close score. Like, it, it felt like, this felt like the game I was waiting for from the Cardinals, right? I've just been waiting for the Cardinals to eventually lose, because I didn't think they were as good as their undefeated record indicated. And this game kind of felt like a uh, a course correction, if you will, back to to what I expected. But, I mean, the Packers are major Super Bowl threats right now in the NFC. I think the Cowboys, once Dak Prescott comes back healthy, that defense has been nuts. And I think I, I'm on record on the podcast as saying they should be the favorites in the NFC. And then, you know, the Rams and the Bucks. I still think the Bucks secondary is going to be a concern come playoff time, but... This is like the most wide open I can remember the NFL being in a long time. I want you to line up those four teams, one through four, assuming health like Dak Prescott's healthy that you just named: Dallas, Green Bay, Tampa, uh, LA. I think those are. I think that's the first tier in the NFC, and I think there's a good case for any of them to win right now. I would go Dallas one, Green Bay two, D- LA three, Tampa four. To to me, I just think I think the. I'm not going to do the thing I did last year with the Chiefs where I ignore their major flaw and just say, well, they have Patrick Mahomes. Of course, they're going to win the Super Bowl. Their major flaw last year is their offensive line, and it came to bite them in the end. The Bucks' major flaw is their secondary. And to make the Super Bowl, they're going to have to beat Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, and the LA Rams, all teams who love to throw the football. I'm sorry. I'm, I am not going to pick the Bucks when I know that is the road. So to me, they're fourth. Um, I just, I, this Dallas defense has been insanely good 
And I was not expecting that. If you had told me this year, if you had asked me in the offseason or like had come to me, you were from the future and you were like, the Dallas defense maybe might be the best defense in football. I would have laughed in your face. There was no shot you could have convinced me of that. And here they are, maybe the best team in football. I'm with you. I think I would take them over anybody right now. I'd, I'd probably actually go L.A. too in that scenario. I'd probably go Dallas, L.A., Green Bay, Tampa, but pretty similar thinking to you. Real quick, the, the last thing I kind of want to hit on in the NFL before we, we move on to other places. Let's talk about that uh, that gnarly hand injury for Matt Ryan. What happened? Because I know he got his hand stepped on, but what are they? What kind of cleats are these dudes wearing that his hand was bleeding that much? Like, are they wearing metal spikes? Because I didn't think you could wear metal spikes in the NFL. I'm not sure. I know that's a lot of weight, though, coming down on the hand. So it doesn't need to be a metal spike to to drive into you i think it where you get the hand too probably matters i don't know if it was like a vein or something that he got stepped on but weird sight weird like decorative halloween towel but weird sight i it was i don't know why he like just kind of brushed it off because he threw a pick on the next play so it kind of felt like maybe he should have got it wrapped up or something before maybe they should have put the backup in for a play that just felt like wasn't the right spot to leave him in <laughs> My thing was more, and maybe I just am naive and have a misunderstanding here. How can you let a player who is actively bleeding stay in the game? That feels like a a health and safety measure that they would probably try to avoid, right? Like, like if 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 someone was bleeding on an NBA court, they go full stop. Like we 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 gotta like stop everything. Can't let anyone, you know, bring out the medical trainers with their gloves and everything. This dude's just, you know, wiping it on his towel, like, ah, eh, whatever. And then he throws a pick. Like, I, I'm just going to assume there was blood in that football that was picked off. And that's disgusting. That's just rugged, man. That's just the NFL. It's just, it just means more. It's just tougher than the NBA. I'll be honest. I've always hated the whole narrative where it's like, oh, fo- football guy, tough, boom, big hits, concussions, CTE. It's like, it's like, guys, like, what why is this the marketing for your league? And I mean, it clearly has worked because they're the most popular league in the world, but well, maybe not the world. The most popular American sports league is the NFL. And I don't know. I, the NFL is weird. The, the things that go on in the NFL, and this is like to go back to something we talked about a couple weeks ago with the John Gruden thing. I think people would be appalled if they actually spent like, 20 to 30 minutes in an NFL locker room, like no cameras or anything. I'm sure the things that are said in NFL locker rooms are so socially unacceptable that it, people would just be floored by the things they hear. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, diverse personalities for sure. And there's also a lot of like kind of that mentality we're just talking about, like suck it up and deal with it, where it's like, like you heard Lane Johnson talking this week about his depression and his anxiety. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, yeah, why do you think that like is happening so often? It's like you are making these guys out to believe that their only option is to play through injury, to get hopped up on painkillers and like just go out there and try and compete no matter what. And it's like, it is really not worth it. Like take a, take a week off. You'll be okay. And I, that's why I really respect what Calvin Ridley did this last week saying you need to, you know, take time away from football and just step away for a little bit. I think it takes a lot of courage to not only admit that publicly, but to be the guy who, you know, Calvin Ridley, one of the 10, 15 best receivers in the league to be the star of your team and step away in that way, I think is, is a very brave thing to do. I think too, when you couple it with, 
you know, Naomi Osaka from over the summer and Simone Biles at the Olympics, like you're, you continue to see big name athletes take time away for mental health reasons. And it's comforting to know that kind of three different kind of spheres of sports it's happening. So you kind of see that influence across sports as opposed to just like one particular spot, which I thought was kind of cool. And it's also, I, I, at least for me, I think for so long, because of people like Michael Jordan, right? We tried to prop up our athletes as these super heroic or these heroin type figures who have no flaws. And, you know, when, when they miss shots, it's just a bad game. It has nothing to do with how great they are. And it's like, it, it was, it's been nice to see the modern athlete kind of strip down that facade of, everything is perfect in my life because I play sports and I'm a millionaire. It's like, no, like just because you have money and because you're doing the thing you love doesn't change, you know, your mental health struggles. And it's been nice to see like people at the top of their sport, like Lane Johnson's one of the five best right tackles, offensive linemen in football, you know, Naomi Osaka, best tennis player in the world. It's been nice to see those voices be the ones that come out and be like, Hey, like this has been really hard for me. And like, I've struggled this my whole life because it, it makes people feel like their struggles are not isolated to just them. It shows that this is a universal thing we all go through. All right, Tom, let's move on then. We we got serious there for a second. Don't that's my fault. You know, I tend to get pretty self serious at uh eight thirty in the morning. Let, let's go over a lot of reflection. <laughs> exactly. A lot of self reflection after a night out on Halloween. We gotta we gotta look inward and think about what are what are we doing wrong over here. Let's go over then to this story that I actually didn't know about until you had said it to me that we were going to talk about this. And I had seen some discussion around it, but I didn't understand why we were talking about it. There's apparently some story this week you're going to have to brief me on where PETA called for the renaming of the MLB bullpen. Am I getting this kind of correct? Yeah, so basically uh, their theory of the bullpen is it's too sensitive to cows because like the way bullpen is associated with like mistreatment of cows um so they they want to rename it to the arm barn which for the record i don't think is that bad of a name it's a fantastic name i almost like it better than the bullpen <laughs> the manager the skip the, the new play-by-play would be like skippers calling up to the arm barn come on imagine joe buck like like you know give me a reliever i don't know joe kelly now warming up in the arm barn like come on that's fire the call to the barn sounds a little bit better than the call to the pen, too. Isn't there a... This is so random and totally unrelated, but calling up to the barn would be great for the Lancaster Barnstormers, a, Ooh, a minor league baseball team. What a find with the Barnstormers. Come on. That is one more Lancaster Barnstormers reference that I thought we would get on the spot. Come on, talk about it. The Lancaster Barnstormers. Um, all right. Well, so there's a couple things to unpack with this, right? Of course. First of all, the, the, the baseball is made out of leather. So we want to talk about actual mistreatment of cows with their use of leather on the ball. Like maybe we're barking up the wrong tree here if we're PETA. I don't, you know, it's probably not the first time PETA's barked up the wrong tree, but like really, this is where we draw the line, PETA. Like, I mean, we've got the the we've got the tomahawk chop, which really isn't PETA related, but like, there, there's a lot of wrongings in baseball, and it feels like this isn't this isn't the biggest evil going on in sports. Well, I'll be honest; I had no idea they used leather 
on the baseball don't they also use leather on basketballs or am i mistaken or did they used to because i feel like that used to be a thing but it might not be anymore i'm actually not sure what a basketball is made out of well i, I guess my, my thing is i'm kind of with you like they're they're kind of fighting the wrong fight but from baseball's perspective i have to ask because i don't know why do they have to use legit why can't they just use like vegan faux leather like is it really going to be that different if your baseballs are not using genuine leather i i have to imagine it's not that different right that's above my pay grade the pitchers will probably everybody will probably complain about it there's probably a certain feel that you get off the ball i don't know if it's the like the texture of it that makes it easier to grip but i'm sure there'll be complaints yeah, but baseball baseball pitchers complain if you like look at them the wrong way. So of course they're going to complain about a changing of a material. You just you know if uh, I I think uh, in any sport they would complain about a changing of the material. To be fair, I think basketball players would complain if the ball feels different. I think football players would complain if the ball feels different. Remember when they changed the NBA ball and they like after like 20 games or whatever, they had to go back to the old ball because they hadn't tested the ball with any of the players. And all the players were like, this ball is horrible. Why are we using this? And I remember vividly like it was such a big deal that on like the NBA live cover, whoever the athlete was that year, they like made an emphasis to like, yo, here's the ball. Look at the ball. You can see the ball in his hands. And it was this weird. Remember, like there was no seams that stopped anywhere on the ball. So it's like. It was just one seamless, like, it's weird. You got to look it up if you get a chance. But it was like, it looked like a different orange too. Don't ask me why I think that. But every time I think back to like the late 2000s, I think of the random ball they had for about 20 games. And then they were like, all right, we screwed up. Let's go back to the the regular ball. Except, you know, they would never say they screwed up. It was more of a, uh, uh, we've reconsidered our decision and believe this newer technology is even better. And the newer technology is what they were using before. My favorite uh, ball complaint was, do you remember the World Cup in 2010 when uh, the, uh, the, yeah. ju- the Jubilani was like the South Africa ball and people were complaining that it was too round? I don't like, remember how that. How is no. a soccer ball too round? That one never made sense to me. Yeah, to, to me, isn't that exact? You know what it probably was? They're, in South Africa, wherever they played, was probably slanted. And so, because the ball was so perfectly round, it was always just rolling away from where you wanted it to be. And so, they were like, all right, all right, we can't blame our shoddy construction of FIFA stadiums. What will we blame? The ball's too round. Got it. Nailed it. it. Check the box. Um, All right. So, back to the bullpen. I've gone and compiled a few alternate names. I I wanted to kind of run them by you to see what your thoughts were. Um, We went through Armbarn already, which was Peter's suggestion. Can't take credit for that. Um, this could be this could be a cash or trash. I only have like four, but yeah, we can do a quick cash or trash. So armbarn is armbarn is cash, cash, cash easily. Um, this one was a little play on words. I just thought it was funny. How about the Isten bullpen? Doesn't actually change any of your problems, but you know you want to shout out the Turks a little bit. So the Isten bullpen. I feel like this is more problematic than the bullpen. I'm gonna go. I, this one's trash. It just the moment I. You know what? It would be in line for baseball, though, to pick a problematic name, to go from something that most people don't think is problematic to something that is legitimately problematic would not be very surprising to me. But I'm going to go trash, although it does fit baseball's aesthetic. I'm going to go cash because of that reason. So I like your thinking there. Um, how about the pitching penitentiary? Cash or trash? 
Why is it a you got to pitch me on why it's a penitentiary? No pun intended. Um, because on the pitch, you're by the way. you are confined to that area until you are released into the game. You are forced to stay in the penitentiary until your name is called to go pitch. It's a strong argument. I'm still going to go trash. It, it just doesn't seem to fit. I don't know. Like there are, there are guys who can just leave the bullpen if they know they're not coming in that night and go hang out in the dugout. So now I'm, I'm going to go trash. Yeah, the pen, it feels more like a penalty box than a bullpen maybe. Like, yeah, I, I could see the thinking there. I'm going to go cash because I came up with it and all my ideas are great. But of I see your logic there. Um, last but not least, and this one may need to be bleeped out a little bit, but um, people say uh, pitchers like shove a lot when they when they play well. Like he was out there shoving. So thoughts on the shove shack for the bullpen? I, I don't I don't like that at all. I There's... <laughs> The innuendos that are are given off by calling it the shove shack, I nope, hard pass. That is that is. I know you came up with this one, at least I'm sure you are. And this is your worst one. This one's really bad. We gotta end on that one. That was the last one. That's very trash. Hey, like why? Where did you come up with that? I was trying to think of uh like pitching alliterations, and I I couldn't. Uh... Like you shove, you go out there and you pitch well. You it, people say you shove. Like it's just, it's just what they say. It is far too early for anyone to be to be talking to me about shove shacks. It's like I was reading a text to one of my friends last night. Last week at like nine thirty in the morning, one of my best friends out of the blue sends me a text and said, "I think we should be juggalos." Just out of nowhere. Why, why did he feel the need to text that to me at 9.30 in the morning? I don't know. I got no clarification as to why he sent it or why he was thinking it. But that's just, just the life I lead. Tom, before we go, there's one more thing I wanted to bring up to you. Did you see the tweet this week that was, I think it was from FanDuel, that said, name an obscure NFL running back? I did. Do you have an obscure NFL running back that you often think about in this way? Because I saw someone throw out no Sean Moreno, which I thought was great. I threw out there Peyton Hillis. He was the first one I thought of when I thought obscure NFL running backs. And I'm curious what, where you land on this. The one I dropped on, on Twitter was Monty Ball. Was he um, the guy who went to Wisconsin? He was, yes. Wow, where'd he play in the league? I think he was. I think he was on the Denver teams with Moreno. Actually, I think they they split time a little bit. A little two headed monster action. But um, speaking of that tweet, did you see one of the most popular replies to that tweet? No. Uh, Miles Sanders forgot NFL running back. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, I I've seen. So my thoughts are that I've seen a lot of people who in the Philly area went out as Nick Sirianni for Halloween. And I saw someone had a play sheet. It said, and the, one of the things it said, RPOs comma, but bad. And then it said, absolutely no running plays. And then right under it, it said, seriously, we're not running the football. So he has a bit of a reputation now, although I do believe he actually did run the ball. They ran the ball 46 times yesterday without their lead running back. So, I mean... It's a bold strategy, but it worked out for them. It was the Lions. Of, of course, they were going to run the ball 44 times. Can I get your take on the whole, like, we're not watering our plants enough or whatever he said about fertilizing oh, the team, whatever he said. His whole analogy where it's like we have roots growing underneath the soil, but we just need, like, the flower to bloom to the surface. I, I don't know. The, the thing I will say about him, and I've heard this about him, people tend to like him because he's, like, very authentic. Like, that's who he is. That like weird analogy and kind of like being a weird guy he's just a weird football guy 
I just don't know if this man was ready to be a head coach yet. I I would I would love to have been a fly on the wall for when they hired him because I want to know what analogies he was using that really got Jeffrey Lurie going. That really made him go, you know what? This guy right here. This is our. This is the guy we need to be our head coach for the next x number of years and it was concerning when they introduced him and they said like we're excited about the coach he can become because that leads me to believe you don't think he's a good coach now which means why would you, <laughs> why would you hire him now yeah I, I i don't know i don't know if he's gonna be the coach next season but if we're going off what we were told in the off season, he will be uh, it's an nfl organization though you, you can't really take him at their word from week to week uh, Sirianni or Dan Campbell, who would you rather have? I actually would rather have Dan Campbell, not because I think he's a better coach, but he's kind of wacky in a fun way. Like, Nick Sirianni's wacky in a press conference kind of way. Dan Campbell is two fake punts and an onside kick against the Rams wacky, and that's the kind of wacky I want. I want, if we're going to be weird, let's go all the way weird. We're talking about kneecaps, we're kicking onside kicks, we're faking punts. That's what I want out of my head coach. If you're going to be 0-8, like, lean into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, if you're going to be bad, like, at least be fun. The, the Lions are not always fun, but on occasion, they give you some spurts of fun. Their issue, the thing really holding them back from being legitimately fun, Jared Goff's their quarterback. Jared Goff has never been fun. Uh, he he is a wet blanket in person form. They weren't ever good with Matt Stafford either, though. I mean, they made the playoffs a couple times, but... They weren't good, but you were getting these crazy, like, Matt Stafford's like, screw it, throw it 70 yards, someone's down there, and, like, someone was coming down. I feel like there was a time period where Matt Stafford had, like, the most Hail Marys, and every time they were catching it, because a wide receiver was finally like, all right, my time to shine, and that would be his one good play his entire career, and then he would just disappear into the ether, except when it was Calvin Johnson. Yeah, they were losing games, like, 45 to 44, and these teams are losing games 44 to 6. All I will say about the Detroit Lions before we go is the Detroit Lions had Barry Sanders, one of the five greatest running backs of all time, and Calvin Johnson, one of the five to ten best wide receivers of all time, and have literally like not a playoff win to show for it with either of them. That is insane. You had two of the five best players at two different positions at two different times in your career, and they both retired early because you're the Lions. That hurts. That hurts. Well, Tom, that brings us to the end of a, a quick episode here of There's a Lot Going On. You got to get to work. I might go back to sleep for a little bit before I start working again. But, Tom, do you have any final thoughts here on this Monday morning? Um, it's actually also Lions-related from last week. Uh, the Matt Stafford postgame with his former team where he was he was talking to the, the Lions players like, hey, how you doing? You know, Good to see you. How's it going? And then he says, it, it's going to be tough. Like, I've been there. And then he says, I know. Like, I know what it feels like. And the I know the pain in his voice, and you know how much suffering that man has been through. Like, makes me root for Matt Stafford that much more. Not only did he have to suffer through bad football, he had to suffer through living in the city of Detroit. I'm David Arroyo. That's Tom Shiley. Catch you back here next week for another edition. There's a lot going on. A lot of Detroit slander this week. <laughs>